0: You may be seated. I've been considering uh, a question of late, and here's the question. In fact, I asked this question to my five guys group as we were uh, meeting this past week. What do I want out of life? And just to rephrase that, what do we, you and I, want out of life? And I think some of the answers are not necessarily bad. Uh, mostly good would be I want a happy family I want a good reputation I want a job that I love I want money uh, possessions I want a secure future financially I want friendships this might be questionable I want fame I want prestige I want power that that could be problematic couldn't it but but maybe all of these wants that that we might uh, verbalize can be summarized in one word, I want success, I want to be successful. And when we look at what we want, and especially perhaps the chief answer to that question, I want to be successful, and we answer that question and look at that question from a humanistic perspective, a worldly perspective, I mean what should we expect? King Solomon in the Bible epitomizes one who reached the pinnacle of success he had wisdom wives wealth power and possessions more than any other of the kings of Israel he had it all And yet, the book of Ecclesiastes really is a representation of King Solomon's life, maybe written by Solomon himself, or written by someone talking about this Solomon-like figure. Though King Solomon had it all from a worldly perspective, the refrain that we hear that characterizes his life, vanity of vanities, all is vanity in the end Solomon's success meant very little to him and in the end he departed this life alienated from God so maybe the the answer the the one great answer to the question what do I want what do we want out of life maybe it shouldn't be success maybe it should be I want my life to have meaning I want my life to count for something and I've chosen to speak from the book of Ecclesiastes today the 12th chapter verses 8 through 14 for this reason the book of Ecclesiastes teaches teaches us how to have how to live a meaningful life and I want us to reflect upon that today and in these last verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, we find three things that are of importance to our discussion today. First of all, the preacher who really represents Solomon, Solomon's view of life, the preacher's false and very problematic conclusion, a warning for you and me today, and then lastly the truth that life is meaningful if God is at the center of it and the source of it so let me pray and then we'll read Ecclesiastes 12 8 through 14 Father most of us here today are struggling in some way with life and most of us here today have probably questioned or asked the question what do I want out of life and maybe struggle to even answer it some of us today may be fully given over to a worldview that is very humanistic and seeking and running after, chasing the things under the sun, the things of this world. And so, Father, this this passage of Scripture is very timely for me, maybe very timely for us as we reflect upon what a meaningful life is all about from your perspective and that actually you've called us to such a meaningful life in Christ Jesus. And so we ask you to instruct us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Ecclesiastes 12, beginning with verse 8. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed, are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, rather good or evil. The word of the Lord. I would like to share a story with you from my childhood. I grew up on, literally grew up on a tobacco farm in North Carolina, and when I was about five or six, we took a plane ride, a flight from Raleigh, North Carolina, the state capital to Washington DC and up until that time my whole perspective of the world was tobacco fields, tobacco barns, pig stalls and trapping animals for their fur. I had a very limited and very narrow perspective and I remember even today on that airplane, it was a DC-9, and we, you know, twin-engine DC-9, old cargo plane. We were flying, and I was looking out. I was just glued to the window looking out at this whole new world from probably, you know, 25,000, 30,000 feet. And my perspective had really changed. It was much bigger than the tobacco farm in eastern North Carolina one of the things we see in the book of Ecclesiastes the preacher representing Solomon depicts a view like my view before I took that airplane ride a view that's very limited and narrow and reflects a view from one's feet being solidly placed on this earth it's limited the writer of Ecclesiastes speaks about These things that are under the sun, meaning the perspective of purely this world, not the perspective of being above, where there's a bigger perspective. And so the conclusion of the preacher, who had this very limited, earthbound perspective of life, was was this. It was limited, it was skewed. We see it in verse 8, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, All is vanity and what we need to see in this statement that is made in verse 8 is that the the preacher's view of life is that life ultimately has no meaning. All this stuff that my life has been about says the preacher that are covered in chapters 1 through 11 (laughs) up into chapter 12 I really uh, in the end amount to nothing. The preacher says at one point in Ecclesiastes, here's here's what I would encourage us to do. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Boy, isn't that encouraging? Doesn't that give you something to cheer about? A view of one's life like that. All that we have is just what we have today, and there's really nothing more to it. Verse 9, oddly enough, the narrator calls... The preacher wise, he indicates that he is engaged in his work diligently and with great care. The narrator states that he has left a legacy of uh, knowledge uh, to people. And then in verse 10, the the narrator speaks of the preacher seeking fine words of delight and uprightly writing words of truth. I can't help but think, but this is a literary device to really show the futility of what the preacher has written, because verses 9 and 10 really are about what the preacher concludes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, hardly a legacy of knowledge, hardly pleasant and upright speech. As Dr. Tremper Longman states, these, these words are troubling and depressing. And you see, the problem with the preacher is that he was viewing life, he was viewing his life, is it meaningful, meaningful from the perspective of being under the sun, a humanistic perspective of life. And it was limited, and it was narrow, and it was false and it was depressing well what is the effect of this humanistic worldview this way of, of thinking about life only from this, this, this very limited earthbound vantage point what we can see touch feel experience in our day under the sun we see in verse 11 I think an answer to this but it's, it's, it's a little debated What's debated is the identity of the shepherd in verse 11. You'll notice in the ESV, if you have that version, that shepherd is capitalized in verse 11, meaning that it refers to God. But some commentators, one among them, Tripper Longman, suggests that it doesn't refer to God but actually refers to the preacher and to the wise teachers of, of the day. And one reason Longman thinks this is that the implements that the shepherd uses are unlike what shepherds use. Shepherds typically guide and direct their sheep using a staff, not a goad. Shepherds lead, they don't drive. And then shepherds typically tender, tenderly care for their sheep. They don't nail them as the text would indicate here concerning this uh, shepherd and so verse 11 though there's debate about this but one way to take this verse and I think there's merit to it is that it's really pointing to a little s shepherd one like the preacher who views life from a very humanistic perspective and comes to the wrong conclusion in fact a conclusion that does goad us a conclusion that does nail us a conclusion that stings us Instead of cares for us. And how stinging is the conclusion that ultimately life is meaningless under the sun. And whatever we might want out of life in the end will amount to absolutely nothing. Stinging, goading philosophy. And the preacher's conclusion is soundly criticized and rejected. And we see this in verse 12 as the narrator gives a warning. And the reference to the son in verse 12 should be taken to include you and me, us. In light of the narrator's assessment of the preacher's uh, conclusion, he warns us, hey, don't buy into this false philosophy, this false conclusion that the preacher has made. Remember, his perspective is humanistic it is earthbound there is a greater perspective that speaks to this that he has not accessed in the part of the verse that reads of making many books there is no end much study is weariness of the flesh is not a call to forget about academics uh, forget about study but it's simply this it is pointing to the futility of studying humanistic philosophies like that of the preacher because they're limited and they're exhausting (laughs) to read and they're dangerous to one's soul. And the danger of the preacher's humanistic philosophy is that it goads people to embrace a skewed reality rather than leading them to see the truth as God has given it. This false philosophy of the preacher entraps people in error by nailing this humanistic philosophy into their lives rather than establishing them on the foundations of objective truth, the very Word of God. And so the implication of the warning is this, if we embrace the preacher's conclusion we will wind up like the preacher at the end of our life saying everything that I have wanted in life, everything that I have done and pursued in life, my life is vanity of vanities, all is vanity, my life has been meaning. And how tragically depressing is that. So, thus far, we've, we've considered the preacher and his troubling, problematic conclusion based upon his humanistic perspective of his life and of life in general. And we've also looked at the warning that is given. Don't Ecclesiastes ends by saying, don't buy into that troubling, erroneous philosophy. Because at the end of the book, the narrator finally comes to set the record straight after all of this speech about life and living under the sun and vanity of vanities, all is meaningless for, from chapter 1 until chapter 12 and verse 7. The narrator comes to set the record straight to give the true biblical perspective, the view from heaven, God's view that teaches life is meaningful. Life has meaning. And verse 13 gives this undeniable, this ultimate conclusion from God's perspective. But before we get to that, we cannot deny the preacher's observation in this fallen world. Life is not fair, life is not just, life hurts, life appears meaningless at times, it does not seem like the best thing actually comes about. Sometimes it does seem like all we have left to do is to eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and so we can't deny that that reality as we look at life from a humanistic perspective and to be up front with you we can't help but look at life from a humanistic perspective why because we're humans and our feet are planted on this earth but the narrator calls us to a higher perspective. He calls us even though we, we can't deny much of what the preacher has said. We're called to look beyond it and to rise above it and to set our gaze and our hope and our heart and our mind and to view our life in light of that perspective like I had when I was in that DC-9 flying from North Carolina to Washington where it's a much bigger perspective of life. And here's the perspective. Here is, as the preacher says, the end of the matter. This is it. This is the sum total of what you need to know. The end of the matter, the bottom line, the only right, true conclusion, the way of finding meaning in life is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments, I want to add, out of love. And how freeing is that? After all this talk about living under the sun and vanity of vanities, we come to this, this climactic point in the book of Ecclesiastes where the narrator in simple words, just two verses, just really nails the truth into our heart and soul. That's a good nailing, isn't it? and first he says our duty is before God he is one to be feared he and fear here means reverence honor respect and and worship he is the ultimate being he is the sovereign ruler over all he is the creator and source of life he is the truth he is awful that is the almighty he demands our reverence we are to fear him if you want to have meaning in life fear God and then secondly our duty before God is to keep his commandments these commandments revealed in the truth of scripture, you know, we, we tend to think about the Christian life as being so complicated, we, we want to be spiritual, we want to grow spiritually, we, we want to be a dynamic Christian, so forth and so on, we run to the bookstore, we look on the shelf, we find the newest program, we get, now it's, forget the bookstores, now it's the internet, you get on the internet, go to the website, how to, how, how to be a successful Christian, how to be a, a better Christian, how to, how to, how to, how to, and the preacher has none of that. Maybe our problem is we're trying so hard to be a better Christian that we have overlooked the way to be a better Christian. And it's this, fear God and keep His commands. I've just, just been floored by how simple the narrator here puts it. And how complicated we can make, we can make the, the Christian life. Now, I'm not suggesting that fearing God and obeying Him is simple. I'm suggesting that by grace the answer is simple and maybe for us to progress in the Christian life in a way that we would want to it's a matter of just listening to what the preacher is telling us here fear God and keep his commandments but there's something else even though it's not overtly written here I think it's implied uh, throughout there has to be something To cause us to fear God and and to obey Him. And what is it? I would suggest to you that it's love. Jesus summarized the, the Ten Commandments in Matthew 22. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love for God moves us to fear Him, to reverence Him, to submit to Him, and then to obey His commands. But there's even something more more basic than our loving God. Not only should we ask the question, how do we fear God and and, and how do we obey His commands? It's love, love God. But how do we love God? How does a dead sinner come to love God? (laughs) How does one who hates God come to love God? And the truth of Scripture is this, we're able to love God only because He first loved us. John. The love of God for us sinners is demonstrated preeminently in the Father giving His Son, Jesus, to redeem us from our sins and to make us His children. And listen to this, to give us access to see the world in a much bigger perspective, the perspective that we find in the Bible. Do you see what happens when God redeems a sinners? He, he does redeem them and deals with their sin and makes them his children, but he just shows us life as it truly is from his perspective through his word. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then another aspect of God's love is this in um, in, in, in verse 14 that human history will culminate in a day of judgment in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul says all humanity will appear before the judgment seat of Christ but in these verses 13 and 14 I believe the gospel is strongly implied The end of the matter is to fear God and obey his commands and this is possible only because of God's redeeming love poured out on us through Jesus Christ for the purpose of giving us a future, a life of meaning today and a life of ultimate meaning in the day to come when we spend eternity with God in heaven. Those who are loved by God and fear Him and keep His commandments will not fear that day of judgment, but we will have joy and gladness. The hymn that we often sing before the throne of grace declares the surety, the security we have in Christ as we will stand one day before the judgment seat. And for the people of God, our future, life is meaningful today and in the day to come because of God's love for us in Christ Jesus and the future that we have according to His promises. And what's amazing to me is in just these two short verses, the the narrator here at Ecclesiastes has declared the truth about why life is meaningful for the people of God who are in Christ Jesus. We are His beloved we are his redeemed we are his sons and daughters we are his treasured possession we are his people we have a future we will be with him in eternity I mean what more needs to be said to communicate to you and me today that our life today and our life to come is meaningful not because of what we have done because of who God is and what he has done in our life what do you want out of life we may want many things but perhaps the greatest thing that we might want is for our life to be meaningful. And if we want that, God has provided a way for that to take place. Ecclesiastes assures us of this, that if if you're viewing life from a humanistic perspective, your life will not have meaning. But the book of Ecclesiastes also ends with the gospel. For those who are loved by God and are in Christ, and out of that love, love God by fearing and obeying Him, we are guaranteed a meaningful life today and the day to come in heaven. And so, meaning in life boils down to this a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You may be like the preacher, thinking, your life has no meaning today. I want you to have meaning, but more, I want you to have Christ. <laughs> For in Him, there is meaning and purpose in life. To have Him means to see your sin, to see your need, to repent, to believe, to trust upon Him. All that we talked about in the sacrament of baptism granted to Thomas today, and then for some of us here today, we may have a right relationship with God, but and we love Jesus, but maybe we've lost a sense of my life really does matter. Maybe we've bought into the preacher's humanistic philosophy and we're struggling today because we're asking the question, what do I want in a life? but I want money but I don't have money I, I want good relationships but everybody seems to hate me you know I want to have a happy family but my family ain't happy and what I want to say to you dear brother or sister in Christ is see the bigger picture get up in the airplane have faith and begin to see That meaning in life comes down, as boils down, not even to you loving God, but God loving you. And to see today that you are loved by God Almighty in Christ Jesus. And you are his son, you are his daughter, and you have a future. That is a life of meaning. And Ecclesiastes calls us to the gospel where we find a meaningful life. So let me ask you this question. Why have I been asking this question about what I want out of life? Many of you know that June 7th, my father passed away and went to be with the Lord. And just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had his memorial service, and I spoke at the service for the family. And I was thinking what am I going to say about my dad? Great guy, many many things to say. And so I asked this question you know, what did he want out of life? Why was his life meaningful? And I was able to list a whole host of things that I appreciated about my dad's life. It was meaningful. It was not wasted. But when it came down to it, what what rose above all the other aspects of his life that made it meaningful was this, he was loved by God and that's true for you and me today what what Ecclesiastes challenges us to do is to look down the road when we are coming to the end of our life And we ask, was my life meaningful? And to look back and see that my life's not meaningful because of the things I did and the person I was. My life was meaningful first and foremost, and really maybe only because the God of heaven shed his redeeming love upon me in Christ Jesus and made me his son, and made me his daughter. And the epitaph that marks John Newton's grave that I read earlier basically says that, doesn't it? That meaning in life comes down to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit loving us and pouring out his grace upon us. What do you want out of life? May we ever answer that question like this, more of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, grant us the grace to go to your word that we might have a vision of life not from this worldly perspective but from the perspective of heaven itself. That we might see our life as you see our life as we reflect upon it in your word. Our Father, I pray that that you would grant us the grace to understand that our life has meaning not because of who we are or what we do or even what we want, but because of your redeeming love for us. Encourage our hearts today, Lord. Show us your glory and your grace and your mercy. Move us to see life in light of the truth about life. That in Christ Jesus, life has meaning. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.